0: you guys have been submitting your own questions, and, and during the message every week, I try to deal with three of them, and then at the end of the series, which actually is next week, I'm going to deal with all of them. We're going to answer every question that you've thrown our way. Well, today we're going to talk about why would a good God allow suffering and evil? Is God good, and why is it that there's evil and suffering in the world? Um, theologians call this theophany. It's the big God question, and it is a, it is a big question that deserves a lot of different answers. I want you to think for a minute about how you answer that question. Why would a good God allow evil and suffering in the world? And let's watch how a few folks have answered this question.
1: No, I don't think there's any divine spirit or, or energy out there that is, that is good or bad. I don't think God is good and uh, there may be suffering because it's not exactly belie- fully believable in trustworthy. Because if everything was always happy then we'd have nothing to compare it to and then happiness wouldn't be as happy. I really think God is good. Um, There's a lot of suffering in the world behind that uh, because of the way how people make daylight out to the see if God does exist then it makes sense that I't do know there would be some suffering because I don't know, a little bit of good might come out of everything uh, give you that
0: experience it would help you with something similar or more difficult in the future
1: I believe that there needs to be a balance between good and bad in this life because you cannot have an access of one thing over another. God is good and I believe there's suffering in the world because not all people follow the word of God. Also just to see the good, to help see the good, and if there's only good things then you just take it for granted.
0: If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to a specific chapter, or maybe you've got your iPhone or your Android out. Um, turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. Uh, we're going to answer this question today by looking at a lot of different Scripture, but John chapter 14, I want you to I want you just to turn to that chapter for a minute, and I want you to look at what's going on. And while you're looking at it, while I'm talking about it, why don't you look at the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter. Just kind of roll through those chapters, John 14, John 15, John 16 and John 17. And kind of look what's going on. You'll notice that this is the end of Jesus' life. And in John 14 and John 15, he starts talking to his disciples about what to expect to come. He wants to give them a, a, a kind of horizon view of what's about to happen. Now, he knows that he's about to die. And he's going to say some very encouraging things to them, by the way. He's going to talk to them about the Spirit of God and how he's going to put the Spirit of God inside of them. He talks to them about hope and peace. He talks to them about heaven. But then he also says some other disarming things and some other things that are kind of hard to take. And one of those things is an opening scripture that I want to start off with today. And it's that place that you've heard before where Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, nobody at that table when Jesus was talking that, at that day wanted to hear that. In this world, you're going to have trouble. As a matter of fact, none of you really want to hear that either, right? And for them, that was a pretty hard thing to be able to hear. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Now, for them that day, they couldn't have imagined what was out there. They couldn't have imagined that they would watch in just the next short few hours, they would watch Jesus hang on a cross. And they would see the the family that they had been around, the people that they had been in ministry with, Just melt and break at the horrible sight of Jesus's death. They couldn't have imagined a a few months out or even a few years out that there would be persecution of them because they were followers of Jesus. At that time, they couldn't imagine it. All they could go off of was Jesus's words. In this world, you will have, not you might have, you will have trouble. Now, today is 9-11 and that whole date, September the 11th, has taken on new meaning in our country, hasn't it? I mean, since 9-11-2001, and when we all kind of hit the pause button on our lives, you remember, er, this is one of those moments where everybody remembers where they were that day, you know, when you first heard about the attack on the the Twin Towers, about the Pentagon, about the, the flight that went down in Pennsylvania, you remember where you were when that happened. I was at a gas station pumping gas, and some guy yelled across the gas, America is under attack, turn your radio on. And I remember turning my radio on and just feeling the fear, the trouble, the confusion that was going on. When we talk about a question like this, why would a good God allow evil and suffering in the world? I think it's worthy to think about how it happens not just to us or to our neighbors, it happens all across the world. Why did 9-11 happen? Why would there be such evil people in the world to cause such tragedy and devastation? Or, or how about move beyond that for a minute, beyond just 9-11? How about more recently? Now that's, that's a few years ago now, right? How about more, more recently, just rains falling from the sky and all of the flooding that Louisiana experienced? I mean, you heard those stories, right? Some of you have, have been struggling with family members in Louisiana because you know, and, and you have to look at that and go, okay, God, what's wrong with our world where people would die because there's so much rain that you have sent that has fallen from heaven? Um, here's another one. How about when you watch your TV and you just see poverty around the world or you see disease? How about, you, uh, how about a child who's born with a cleft palate, you know, or, or has a disease uh, that... Or, or, or sickness, or diag- a, a diagnosis. This morning before worship began, I, I just pulled Oscar aside for a minute because Oscar and Becca have little Maddie, and Maddie has this very rare um, situation where one chromosome was deleted from her strand. And Maddie is beautiful, and Maddie is unique, but Maddie, that has caused Maddie to be different than, than a, you know, a child that would have normally just, the, the, the other, her, even her two brothers, right? And I just said, Oscar, for you and Becca, here's the question. Why? Why, God? Why? You know, of all the questions, of all the big God questions, the why is there evil and suffering in the world is really the most personal of all the questions. Because you, 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 every one of you, have experienced suffering or evil that is according to your fingerprint. It's, it's your own situation. It's different from your neighbor. It's, it's, it's the most personal of all the God questions. And what's also interesting, it is the most emotional of all the God questions. Because when you experience that kind of pain, that kind of heartache, it really gets to your heart. Jesus says in this world, you will experience trouble. So today I'm going to try to answer. You've got your outline. I want you just look at it for a minute. Kind of look at it from kind of a macro view. See those big black boxes? I'm going to give you three different types of answers today. Here's an overview of what we're going to do today. We're going to read lots of different scriptures, but I'm going to give you basically three types of answers to those questions. The first type of question, uh, the answer to that question, I'm going to give you is a hard answer, okay? That really people don't want to hear, but it's just a hard answer. The second kind of way I'm going to answer that question is with a head answer. I want you to think logically with me. I want you to to put your thinking cap on, and and we're going to think about logically the head answers to why there's evil and suffering in the world. And then finally, I'm going to give you one hard answer that I hope somewhere in the midst of it all, you have for yourself at least a a pointing towards the answer to this question. Why would a good God allow evil and suffering in the world? Now, before we dive into any of that, I, I just want you to go with me kind of in your imagination for a minute, to a place of imagining the world differently than it is right now, okay? Because we see our world, and we know the problems of our world, let's imagine for a minute our world differently. But before I do that, let me just make sure you're like me, okay? Are you like me? When I'm driving down the road, I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden I look up and I see a police car, do you have an emotional response like I do? I immediately take my foot off the gas, and I, and I start to put on the brake, and I look down at my speedometer and go, ooh, how fast am I going? You laugh, you must be like me. Are you like me? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why, do, why is that our knee-jerk reaction? I mean, the truth of the matter is, if we were to pull up next to the police officer, we were having a conversation, we wouldn't be afraid of that police officer, you know? They're people just like us. They're nice people. We would, but when we're driving down the road, all of a sudden we see them, this fear grabs us real quickly, right? And we do something even viscerally with our body. We pull our foot off the gas. We hit the brake. Now, here's the reason why we do that. We, that's all of us because you're like me, we are lawbreakers, okay? Okay, I'm going to confess something to you. I'm your pastor, and there has been a couple of times that I've gone over the speed limit on that sign, okay? A couple of times, couple of times probably this morning on the way to church. All right. I'm a lawbreaker. And so the reason that I jump off that gas pedal is because I knew I know that I don't always live according to the law, okay? I don't. So for a minute, if you're like me, why don't we just imagine if the world was different with its laws, so to speak, you know, its scientific laws, its cultural laws, its societal laws. What if the world was different? So imagine with me for a minute. Imagine a world where Anybody can do everything. You can do anything you want to do, but the bad stuff, okay? You can't do anything that's a bad thing, okay? So you cannot speak. You can do anything else, but you can't. When you get to 55, it's sticking right there. You can't go over it, okay? Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where you can't swear, okay? Nothing would ever come out of your mouth that was wrong. By the way, you can't even have a bad thought. But you can do everything else, but you cannot do anything bad. You can't take something into your body that would make you uh, drunk or because you can't do things that are bad. Imagine a world like that. I mean, you can't pull for Georgia Tech because you can't do bad stuff, <laughs> right? Just had to slap that in there. You, no, mate. Now, if you're there, you're imagining this, okay? I want you to imagine that kind of world, but can you imagine how little freedom you would have if there was a world where everybody could do anything, but nobody could do anything wrong? By the way, in that world, you wouldn't need a cop. You wouldn't need a police officer, because nobody ever does anything wrong, okay? But it would also be a very limited world. Have a lot of your freedoms taken away from you, all right? Have you imagined that? Now let's imagine the opposite of that. Imagine a world where anybody can do anything, and lots of people do bad stuff. But in this world, there are no consequences. So somebody can molest somebody, somebody can abuse somebody, somebody can embezzle from their company, you can do anything you want that's wrong, and there are absolutely no consequences because there are no police officers, okay? Do you want to live in that kind of world? That's a scary, frightening world, isn't it? See, one world is a world that has no freedoms. You you are controlled, all right? You can't do anything wrong, you just got to be right. I call it the robot world, okay? Okay? You can only do certain things, and they'll never be wrong. We've limited you. We've, we've frozen your freedoms. And in the other world it's a very frightening world. Now, if you've, if you've dreamed that up, and I don't mean like, I don't, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that God is some cosmic cop. But what I am saying is that sometimes people, when they look at the, this world that's somewhere in between those two worlds, and they, they think about why the world is this way, they want to blame the cop, all right? They want to blame the police officer when they speed or the world's wrong or something, somebody does evil to them. They want to blame somebody else. They don't want to look inwardly. And one of the things that God has done is God has chosen to work in a world that is neither one of those two, thankfully, imaginations we just dreamed. It's not that other thing, and it's not that one over there. It's a world that is a messy, messy, messy world. And in the middle of the messy, messy, messy world, Jesus came and he said this. In this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. So today, you and I have kind of put life on pause for a minute, kind of come to church, open up the Bible, and say, God, show us about the trouble. Because here's the good news. God is a redeemer of our troubles. And that's what we're going to study today, okay? How can a good God allow evil and suffering in our world? So let's start off, if it's okay, I just want to start off with, um, with that, the hard answers first, okay? The hard answers first. So here's this, write this one down, fill in the blank if you will. Here's a hard answer, nobody wants to face it, it's just a truism, all right? Hard answer. Some of the harsh things in this world are initiated by a God who is simply enforcing justice. We have a just God, and He will sometimes enforce justice in powerful ways that none of us want to look at and none of us want to say, oh, God could actually do that. You want a case in point? Just open up your Bible to one of the most famous stories in all of the Old Testament when there was a city by the name of Sodom and a city by the name of Gomorrah and God said, because of the evil in this city, I'm going to wipe out the whole thing. We we and we would rather take that part like out of the Bible. We don't want that kind of thing. Okay, maybe, maybe God doesn't enforce justice like that. But I'm just going to give you right out of the gate a hard answer. I'm going to give you a lot of different answers to this question. But right out of the gate, here's one of the hard answers that nobody really wants to face. That sometimes the hard things that happen in our world are initiated by a God who is enforcing justice. And he knows what is right and what is wrong. And he hates evil far more than you do. He hates injustice. Here's another hard answer. Write this one down. Our choices have consequences. They do. We call this, by the way, biblically, the law of the harvest. Fill that in. The law of the harvest. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, maybe just write in your margin, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, 7 is, in the Bible, it's a law that God has put into play for in all things around the world. It's at play in all the different laws of science. It's in laws with us. Culturally, it's called the law of the harvest. And here's what the Bible says in Galatians 6, 7. Do not uh, be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What a man or a woman sows, they will reap. That's what Galatians 6 6 and 7 says. And so if you sow good, you're going to reap good. If you sow evil, you're going to reap evil. We live in a world where there are things being sown that are both bad and good, and they're going to reap bad and good in the world that we live in. All right? So two hard answers. Now let's go to some head answers, okay? Let's talk about some head answers. Why would God allow evil and suffering in the world? And the first thing I would tell you is that God is not the creator of evil or suffering. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. I was sitting with a guy one time and he just looked at me. We were having casual coffee in a a coffee shop. And he said, why didn't God just create the world, a perfect world, without, without any evil in it? And I said, basically, he did. I mean, God made the world a beautiful world. He did it one time. And he said to Adam and Eve, according to the scriptures, you can have anything you want. You can have it all. Just don't eat from this one tree. He made a beautiful, perfect world. He didn't create them with any evil or malice or sin inside of them. They, they would have never known suffering. This is the world that God made for them. And then he said, don't eat from this tree, and you know what happened, right? They ate from the tree. Now, a lot of people want to blame Adam and Eve and go, wow, look, wow, if it wouldn't have been for them. But the truth of the matter is, you're just like them, right? I mean, you've fallen short, you've sinned, you've done wrong just like they did. And by the way, if you were in the garden, you'd have bit the apple too, all right? So what we need to understand is that God did not create evil and suffering. Well, Stephen, why did he put that tree there? I mean, couldn't he just have done the whole thing and said, no tree? Or how about this one, Stephen? No serpent, no Satan, no nothing. Why couldn't God have created that kind of world? And here, um, here is the big answer to the question, okay? The answer is freedom. God gave us free will. Now, God could have chosen the robot theory. God could have made the robot world over there, right? He could have made it so that you would have never done anything wrong. He could have made a world just like that. But here's the problem. When it comes to love, have you ever noticed this? When it comes to love, you can only love when there's freedom. You can only love that way. I mean, I'm sitting right up here right now. I'm just going to use Ricky and Christine as an example. These two guys, how long have y'all been married? Four years. Four years. Oh, that's awesome. Beautiful, right? So Ricky and Christine, imagine if, imagine if Ricky said to Christine, hey, I love you. But what if Ricky couldn't control it? What if Ricky had to do it? I mean, what if Ricky had no choice but to do it? What if he was in the robot theory? Do you think that would really means something to Christine? Absolutely not, right? She would, she would think that this doesn't. it's not really from your heart. It's not your choice. It's not your freedom. It's not that you've chosen to do that, Ricky. You just did that because you had to. See, here's how it works. God gave us free will. And in the choice of putting that tree right there, he said, you will either listen and obey me, you'll respond to me, you'll love me, or you won't. I'm going to leave it up to you. And in that moment, the whole thing, the whole thing bears out. You know, we're going to look at this question from a lot of different angles, but what I need you to understand is from a really kind of 60,000-foot view, it all comes down to God loving, listen, loving us and wanting us to love him back. The whole thing comes down to relationship, all right? And there is no relationship, Christine, if Ricky has to do that, right? But if he has a choice to love you, then that's how a relationship births and is bloomed. God knows this better than everybody, right? Because God is the author of relationship. And so God gave us a choice. He gave us a choice. Could he have created it with, with no tree? Could he have created it with no serpent? Couldn't he have created it with no, no choices of bad or, or wrong? Sure, he could have. But in doing so, he would have also had thrown out the very thing that he made us for, which is called relationship. He gave us choice. He gave us a chance to respond to him and choose to obey, choose to love, choose to enter into relationship. At the macro level, this question is going to come down to that decision by God that God made to give us free will. So, by the way, evil and suffering... It comes in basically two different kinds of forms, okay? You might want to write this down somewhere. There's human evil. You've you've seen that. You've seen that everywhere, right? I mean, you've seen people be bad to people. People do harm to people. There's human evil. You've seen people think bad thoughts and do bad things. But there's also natural evil, and that's one of the things we have to face. What do you mean by natural evil, Stephen? There are natural things that happen that you look and you say, "That's just that should not be so. Why is there famine? Why is there... Uh, Poverty? Why is there hurricane and tornadoes and tsunamis? Why is this? Let me, if you've never read the scripture before, I wanted to put it today to give you an understanding of human evil versus natural evil, right? So read with me. It says in Romans 8, verses 19 through 21. This is Paul trying to explain the natural evil in our world. For the creation, he's talking about the world, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God. To be revealed. For the creation, that's the world, as we see it, all that was made. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. Creation didn't bite the apple, right? Humans bit the apple. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see what that's saying, guys? that when sin entered the world because we had freedom of choice, it not only affected us, it affected the creation. And the Bible says all of creation literally is longing for its redemption moment too when Jesus would come and rescue us. Creation is waiting for redemption just like you and I are. So remember this, God is not the creator of evil and suffering. He didn't create it. He made a world where there was free choice, and we chose a wrong way. Somebody would say, well, Stephen, I mean, he's God. Couldn't he foresee it? Couldn't he see that we were going to choose the wrong way? Sure he could. But let me talk to every parent in the room for a minute. Hey, Jeff, Joyce, when y'all were ready to have a child, did you think the child was just going to be perfect, or did you know they would make mistakes, right? You knew they would make mistakes. Halfway because Joyce has red hair. You knew they'd be hot-tempered at least, right? Just picking on you, Joyce. The truth of the matter is, every parent, we know our children are not going to be perfect. We know they're going to do wrong. Do we still choose to have them anyway? We do. We do. We choose to birth them anyway, and we trust that in the, in the coming and the going, that relationship is going to be a beautiful thing, and we're going to teach them the right way. Now, I told you that during this message series, I'm going to, I'm going to answer three of your questions. And most of the time, I do that in three different places. But today, I'm just going to put all three big questions together. And I just want to again say, thank you for submitting your God questions. So many of you, I've got a great challenge this week. I've got a lot of God questions to, uh, to write on um, that I'm going to be answering. But I want to answer three questions with you real quickly. First one is this. If God, Somebody wrote this one. If God is watching over us, why does he allow the bad things to happen? So real quickly, watching over us, what are the bad things? Think about what this person is asking. I don't know what this person had going on, but it might have been um, an injury. It might have been a car accident. Maybe they were thinking about it. Maybe they were thinking about an abuse in their life. Maybe they were thinking about a divorce, or maybe they were thinking about some type of uh, sickness. Why does God allow the bad things to happen? Now, let me just tell you the truth. I'm going to answer this question just straight on right to the point. Let me tell you the truth. You'll never know all the answers to that question for every one of the situations. I mean, if you thought about all the situations of all the bad things that happened in this room today, you'd have to answer that question differently according to every one of the bad things that's happened to us. Why would God allow this to happen? And by the way, why would God allow that one to happen? And why would God... You'll never know all the answers to all those individual questions. You just got to understand it. So why does God allow these things to happen? By the way, that person is very right. That's a great word. Because they got it right. God does allow things to happen. He doesn't, he doesn't push them or cause them. He allows them to happen over our life. You say, really? I mean, why would God allow this to happen to me? And it comes back down, which, since you can't get all the answers to all different questions, it comes right down to, are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust God? And do you think God is a good God? I mean, there's a lot of different questions in this room right now about those different things, those bad things that God would allow to happen. As I, was, I was talking with Oscar and Oscar said, we believe God is a good God and, and we, we believe that He allowed this to happen for some good purpose in our family and in our daughter's life. I said, are there ever, ever any moments Any moments you say, look at that. Maybe that's why God allowed that to happen. Or you say, look at that. And he told me about these moments all along the way where their faith has been increased because they prayed that God will allow Maddie to walk, for example. They didn't think she was going to walk at moments. And she started walking. And their faith was increased because they saw it. He said, there have been all these moments like that. We never thought she'd read. We prayed. And then she started reading, you know. That's their story. But do you understand that there are so many, so many bad things that happen that you could have to answer that question a bunch of different ways about why did God do it this way and not go that way? Why did God allow the right thing to happen and, and not the left thing to happen? Why would God allow these things to happen? And at the end of the day, the Bible says, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And when you don't have the answers, that's exactly what you do. Oscar said, I don't, I don't know that I have all the answers, but we're just walking and we're trusting and we're asking God to show us his answers as we go down the road. You know, this is, this is what I think wise people do. They say, I don't know that I'll ever get all my answers. But I'm going to trust that God is a good God and that he'll reveal some of his purposes along the way. And if he doesn't reveal them a lot, one day he will reveal them in the future. Another person asked this question. I said, By the way, I forgot to tell you this. More questions on this and heaven than anything else, all right? And categorically, more questions on... And by the way, I'm preaching about heaven next week, so come next week, all right? More questions about evil and suffering in the world and heaven than anything else. Somebody said, why are so many children made to suffer? Illness and abuse. Several people asked questions about children. And I've already talked about evil and sin and how that caused problems in our world, even with the creation. Let me tell you, children, in God's plan, children were never meant to suffer the kind of illness, sickness, or disease, or abuse that they they suffer. But here's the deal. He allows freedom. And part of that freedom is the allowance that there will be evil and injustice and inequality in the world. Is God indifferent to it? Absolutely not. He cares cares a lot about it. Somebody would look at me and say, well, Stephen, why why doesn't God just eradicate all the bad stuff? Why doesn't God just look back and say, I will not allow an Adolf Hitler. I'm just going to stop him. I was, I was having this conversation. A guy came into my office one day, and he was really put out with God. And it was during the whole Saddam Hussein thing. Remember that? And he said, I don't get it. If God is good, why doesn't he just wipe this guy out? I mean, all he's got to do is clog up an artery, you know, and has gone, you know. Why doesn't God wipe the guy out? And I looked at him, and I said, because of you. And he said, what? What do I have to do with Saddam Hussein? And I said, listen, if God eradicated all evil around the world, if God just stopped, he'd he'd eradicate you. And do you understand that God says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it that way. Is he indifferent to it? No. We read a scripture later on that explains that a little bit more. But God, God is merciful. And even when we see children who are suffering, listen, you need to know that at the end of the game, at the end of the story, when, it's, when the last chapter is turned over, you will see the mercy of God even to those innocent ones, which is what that person talked about. Here's another one. And by the way, I'm, I put two questions here because they were so close. Um, next question. Why does God allow Christian people to suffer extreme inequities or pain and sinners to seem to prosper in this world. Another person, person put it this way in their question. Why do evil people prosper? Now, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the honest truth. When I first read these questions, I thought, oh, it just looks that way. It just looks like the evil people are prospering. You know, then I picked up the Bible. And you know what the Bible told me? The Bible told me evil people prosper. I was like, oh, those people are right. And by the way, whoever wrote those questions, I just kind of want to applaud you, and I want to say thank you for being honest. I mean, if we're very honest, we would look around us and we would say, "Man, it looks like those people who are doing the wrong thing are getting away with it and they're prospering." I mean, am I the only person that sees a person drive by in a red Corvette and goes, "Hmm, won't be one of them," you know? I got a guy that lives in my. I'm about, to, I'm about to show you my carnal side. I got a guy that lives in my neighborhood has about eight cars, and he don't go to church. And I think to, I think to myself, he ain't tithing God. I know how he can afford eight cars, you know? Maybe if I stopped tithing, I could afford eight cars too. I mean, that's just a bad thing inside of me, and I just got it out. All right, now, here's what I'm saying. The people who ask that question, they're honest, right? Why does it look like evil people suffering? I mean, uh, prosper in this world, and the righteous don't get what the evil... You know what I picked up? Got your Bible? Psalm chapter 73. This is where I was reading, and I just thought, wow, this is so right. This person is so right. Psalm chapter 73 Fred, I didn't. I don't think I told you this one. Um, you can put it on the screen if you get it. Psalm chapter 73. Just read the first three verses, and this person says exactly what these people are saying. Psalm 73, 1 through 3. Surely God is good to Israel. Now, the psalmist starts, on, starts off by saying, now I know God's good. I mean, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. I know he's good to us, but now he's about to say what those people said, all right? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, the the psalmist saw the prosperity of the wicked just like those people do, right? The psalmist said, why do evil people prosper? Now, here's what I want to tell you, and I I I didn't put these in your outline. I just choose to answer these questions. I want to give you four quick answers to this question, because I think evil people do prosper in this life, all right? I don't think it just looks like they prosper. I think they actually do prosper in this life. Four real quick answers to that, all right? Why do evil people prosper? The first one I would say is this: because the enemy wants to frustrate us. He wants, uh, he wants to frustrate us and question the fairness of God. I think that's the way one of the enemy things the enemy does. I mean, there's a guy that rides by with all these beautiful cars, and, and I'm and come on, God, you know. If he can get his foot in the doorway, he will. And I think that's one of the things that the enemy does. You need to be mindful of that, okay? Whenever you start to question the fairness of God, know this, that's an enemy's tactic. Here's the second thing. Sin created that in- inequity. Sin created that, that inequality. Sin created that suffering in the world that we see. And so we live in a world of sin. And the, pro- the wicked and the evil will prosper. Okay? You need to understand that. It gets better. I'm about to share the good news. All right? Ready? Third thing is short-term versus long-term gain. Every one of you parents try to teach your children that, Right? I want you to choose the, the long ring. Don't choose the, the short. The, we, we, we call it in my family instant gratification. You know? I, I don't know if Alex is here this morning, but Alex was sitting in the back seat one time Julie wasn't even in the car. Andrew and Abby are older than Alex, and Alex is saying, Dad, he was talking about a certain ball he wanted from Dick Sporting Goods. I gotta have that ball. I want this ball. I said, No, you're not getting the ball. I know I want it, Dad. I need it now. I said, No, you can wait. I, I think I might get it for you at the beginning of next month, but you're not. No, Dad, I need it right now. I said, son, you're gonna learn the, the lesson of instant gratification. He said, I don't even know what instant gratification is. I want that ball right now. <laughs> to which Abby and Andrew bust out laughing. Because they're older, right? He was younger at that time. And they know what instant gratification is. Here's what I'm saying. If we teach that to our children to have a long-range picture, not the short-range picture, I think that's actually one of the things that God wants to teach us as well. So evil people will prosper in this world, and God's looking at the righteous and say, do you have a bigger picture? Are you going to complain about fairness? Or can you actually look at long-term gain? Look at this number four. Ungodly people prospering. Actually is to your benefit. I bet you didn't know this. Might want to write that down somewhere because I'm about to read a scripture and it's going to come to life for you, okay? Ungodly people prospering is actually to your benefit. Real quick, real quick scripture. You got your Bible, or maybe again, Fred, I think I forgot this. Give this to you. Read Proverbs 13, 22. Proverbs 13, 22. Let me turn there real quickly with you. Proverbs 13, 22. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Some translations say it this way, A sinner's wealth will be poured into the righteous. I bet you didn't even know that scripture existed. Did you know the Bible says... That a sinner's wealth will actually come back around to the righteous. Reminds me of a guy I heard one time was coming out of, a, out of a, like the Empire State Building in New York City. And uh, one of the guys there tried to flag a cab for him. Um, he was a Christian minister and um and and sure enough he flagged the cab down which is a hard enough thing in new york city the cab pulls up it's raining he's got his umbrella and he's walking the, the the christian minister out to the car but all of a sudden this guy burst out of the door with a briefcase young guy he's mad he's he says i need that taxi right now and the and the and the doorman said no i mean i i, I flagged this down for this gentleman this is his taxi wait five to ten minutes and i'll get you another one he said i need it right now blippity blip with all his different words and so the Christian minister just stepped back and said, he can have my taxi. And the doorman said, no, that's not, that's not his taxi, that's your taxi. And the Christian minister said, listen, I'll wait five to ten minutes. You can flag me down another one, let him go. And so the guy jumps in the car and he throws his briefcase in and slams the door and he takes off. And, and the doorman looks at the Christian minister. Honest to goodness, true story. The doorman looks at the Christian minister and he said, why would you do that kind of thing? He was so rude, he was so arrogant. Why would you give that guy your taxi? And the Christian minister looked at him and said, no problem, man, he works for me. Now, the doorman didn't understand that at that moment, but what this guy knew was the power of Proverbs 13, 22. He was saying, listen, let that guy, let that guy, let him prosper right now. The Bible says the wealth, the prosperity of the wicked will be stored up and come back around to the righteous. Long-term view. Why do the wicked prosper? It's a great question. It's an honest question. It has several different answers to it. I've been talking about head answers, right? So let's go back to our outline for a minute. Head answers. We said God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Well, what else can we say about that? Listen to this. Write this one down. Though suffering is not good, God can and does use it to accomplish good. Okay, write that in there. He can and He does use it to accomplish good. And I want to suggest three ways, and I'm going to go through them really fast with you, okay? But three ways that God uses good, uses evil and suffering in our world for our good. And so the first one is this. God uses pain to draw people to himself. That's not a very attractive thing. we, We get it with our heads, okay? Understand it. With our heads, God uses pain to draw people to himself. A philosopher named Peter Kraft, this is the way he put it. Peter Kraft said these words. The meaning... And the purpose of suffering in history is that it leads to repentance. Only after suffering, only after disaster, does Israel or do nations or do individuals turn back to God. Maybe you would remember 9-11. You remember how all of a sudden when 9-11 happened, so many people said, where is God? And why is God allowed this? And then did you notice that churches were filled? I mean, people came back to God in droves looking for the answer to where God was and why God allowed it to happen. And the suffering and the evil of 9-11 calls in the, our entire nation to turn to God. This is just a truism, okay? When suffering and evil happens in your life, it is, it is one thing that will draw you back to God. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as, as children for what children are not disciplined by their father. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, He speaks to us in our conscience, and He shouts to us in our pain. It is His megaphone, To a to rouse a deaf world. See, pain and suffering is one of the ways God pulls us close to Him. If you don't believe that, let me just ask you this: when life is going perfect for you, do you get closer to God or you drift away from God? The answer to the question is when life is really good for you, you have a tendency to drift away from God and just enjoy life. And then when there's some pain and there's some struggle, all of a sudden you return back to God. One of the ways God brings good out of evil good out of suffering, is that he draws people to himself through it. Here's a second one. We're talking about head answers, okay? Still, these are head answers. This is how he uses good and evil. I'm sorry, evil and suffering to, to, uh, to bring about good. The second one is God uses trials to sharpen his children's character. Now, let me just read these scriptures for a couple of seconds, and we'll kind of flesh this out a little bit. He uses trials to sharpen his children's character. Uh, Romans 5, 3 through 4, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So when we go through these struggles, we are good things are being produced in our, our lives. Look at this one, Hebrews 5, 8, son though he was, that's Jesus, even though he was a son, the son of God, he learned obedience from what, through what, he suffered so even jesus learned how to be a son of god through his pain through his suffering through his trial through the evil that was done to him so i guess i would say to you for me i know that there have been moments where i have persevered there have been moments where i kept going even in the midst of trials or struggles or hardship i kept going and i grew stronger in my character because of it and by the way you did the same thing You've been through some stuff. You've persevered through some stuff. You've had the boss at work who, who just couldn't lay off of you, and you persevered through it, and you grew stronger from it. You've had this happen, that happen, this happen, that happen. You've had some of those same things happen, and you have persevered as well. And in that perseverance, you grew stronger. You know, there's the old saying, the tough, when the tough, what is it? When the, uh, when the going gets tough, remember that? What is it? The... Yeah, we all know that, right? When the going gets tough, the tough get." Bo is up here, he's a, he's a marathon runner. No, you're not, you're a, you're a cross-country guy. One day you'll run a marathon. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know about that. <laughs> he says, I don't know, but he's a, he's a cross-country guy. Now, for those cross-country guys, how far do y'all run when you run, Bo? 5K. Yeah, 5K, that's about, that's about what, 4 point something miles? miles? 3.1 miles. Bo is running at 3.1 miles, running in his time. He's, he's running, 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 right? When the going gets tough, it's not always easy, right? not always easy. So you know what, there's, I read this motto the other day about runners. This is for you, Bo, just for you. When the, when, for runners like Bo, marathon runners, big runners, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Sprinters have a different motto. When the going gets tough, sprinters get out, all right? They're just short-term people. When the going gets tough, the sprinter's just going to bail, all right? Now here's how that works. When God uses suffering to build our character, and he wants us to trust in him, grow to be like him, and be made stronger in the midst of the evil and the suffering that we go through. And look at this third one. third reason how God uses evil and suffering. And that is, that is this. He, he uses bad circumstances, somehow or the other. He, when he wrenches it out, it's for good. When the water comes out of the towel, you, you would look at it and you would think it's going to be all dirty and nasty. All this stuff that's been poured into that towel. When he wrenches it out, he wrenches it out and good flows out of it. God brings good from the bad. Romans 8.28. We say this around, this is kind of like a mantra here at Harvest Point. If there's any scripture that you're probably going to memorize if you come to this church for any length of time, it's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for good, for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This is God's promise. You might just want to write that word out there to the side of it. This is his promise. When evil and suffering happens to me, he will bring good about. It reminds me of the story back in Genesis of Joseph. Remember all that bad stuff that happened to Joseph? And then in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph, I want to write that down somewhere. Just go back and read what Joseph said. Joseph said, you meant to do this to harm me. You intended it for evil. But can I tell you, God brought about good, not only for me, but for all the people's lives who've been saved because of what you meant to do as harm to me. This is how God works. He always promises to bring good out of evil. I'm talking about Head answers. Let's go to another head answer. Flip that outline over. Here's another head answer. The day, why does God allow evil and suffering in the world? The day is coming when suffering will cease and evil will be judged. So why doesn't God eradicate evil? One day God will. But God hasn't done it right now. Remember that young man who was asking about Saddam Hussein? I want to to share this scripture with you. The scripture says from 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to, you might want to underline these words, everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't God eradicated evil yet? It's because of his mercy. He is very merciful. And God will one day fully deal with it, but right now, He has not dealt with it. And this is one of those moments where I'll just look at it and I say, this is evidence of a loving God. He says, listen, Peter, one of his best friends says, God is not slow, as as you might understand slowness, in keeping his promise that he will redeem this world, that he will make this world right. He's not slow on it. But what he is is he's patient and he's merciful and he's allowing as many, as many, as many folks to come to repentance as possible. One day, one day, evil will be eradicated. Now look at number four. That's what I want to give you a picture of, okay? Number four. Any suffering we experience will pale in comparison to the good that God has in store for his followers. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that any suffering that you go through, and some of you guys have gone through immense suffering. Some of your pain is deep and dark, and it's from your childhood, okay? Some of it is deep. The Bible says that put all that in a basket. Compare it with what is to come, and it won't even, you won't even think about it. It will pale in comparison. So for a minute, especially those of you who have really, really deep, maybe even childhood wounds, can we just together for a minute zoom way out? Let's zoom way out and get big perspective for a minute, okay? I want you to get a big perspective of what is to come. Paul said it this way, and I don't have it in your outline here, but I, because it's so much, and I ran out of room. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 11. He was talking about his struggles, his hardships. He was talking about where he suffered evil, okay? Paul said, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I, he said, I, I, he was being persecuted for his faith. And he said, I am a servant of Christ. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the Jews, the 40 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangerous from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been called... Old and naked, this is the stuff I've been through. This is what Paul is saying. But yet, just a little bit later, listen to what he says. In that next scripture, he says it this way. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, all that stuff, if I get a big picture, zoom way out, it's not. it can't even compare with what it's going to be like when God redeems the world and heaven starts if you're really going to get a picture of this from way out, you've got to understand, small picture, big picture. Penny, let's, let's think small picture, big picture with you, okay? What if, what if this week you had a bad day? I mean, what if this week, all of a sudden, your, your tooth started hurting you, and you went to the dentist, and you showed up, and they said, Penny, you've got to have a root canal. And you said, oh, my goodness. I don't want a root canal. And they said, well, it's going to get worse than that. Here's the bad news. We're out of Novocaine. But it's got to be done today, okay? It's, it's desperate. We're going to do it today. And what if they strapped you down to that dentist chair and what if they gave you a root canal without Novocaine? And there you are, looking all pretty, I'm sure, as you drive home, all hurting and painful. As you drive home, and all of a sudden, you get in a car accident. Messed up your car. And now, you, you know, you called somebody to come pick you up, and while you're going going home from somebody picking you. You ain't got your car anymore. The phone rings. You pick up your phone, and you're informed by the IRS that they're going to audit you. I mean, can the day get any worse? And then, you, you know, before, you even, before the day is even done, a friend betrays you. Let's just dream about a day like that. I hope you don't have a day like that, Penny. Really, especially this week. But what if a month from now, other things started to happen? What if, let's just say in the next month, a friend won the lottery... They want something like $350 million. They decided to give you $10 million. That'd be nice. That's a good friend, right? And what if you decided you're going you to treat yourself to a little vacation with that $10 million? But right before you went on vacation, Penny, you found out that you got the big promotion that you didn't even know you were going to get. I mean, it's the best promotion you could have ever dreamed for. So all of a sudden, not only did you have a lot more money, now you had a lot more money come in on a regular basis, and it's the dream job that you wanted. Not only that, what if, what if your marriage was great? And what if your husband, you know, he just said, hey, I love you. You're, you're the most, and you just knew it. You knew it from his heart of hearts that his love was pure. And what if you had the best health going on? What if for the next year you felt like you were better in shape and better in health than ever before? And what if at the end of the year somebody came up to you and said, Penny, how was your year? Penny would look at us and say, I had a pretty good year, <laughs> you know? Now, Penny, there was a day that you went to the dentist, right? And you got audited and you crashed your car. But if we only look at the small day and we don't see the big picture, we're missing the whole thing. Paul could have looked at any one of those things on there and said, you know what? This has happened to me and I'm mad at God. I want to blame God. Any of those things. You know what Paul said? When I think about those things, they, pale and they're, they're, they won't even compare to the great things that God has coming my way. And then, then finally, oh, by the way, picture of heaven. We're going to preach about heaven next week, but I'll share a real quick scripture with you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, here are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God is preparing a great future for you if you trust him. And, you, and any suffering and evil you experience in this world, won't even compare to what is to come in heaven. Look at, look at number five. Last head answer. We decide whether our pain in this world is going to harden us or soften us. Now, that's just the truth of the matter is. You have a decision to make in these moments. And so, uh, by the way, remember that scripture that said Jesus was the son of God and he learned how to be a son through obedience even to his own suffering, right? This is the way it's going to be with you and me. So there's one, there's one person who experiences the loss of a child from a drunk driver And they get mad at God. And there's another person who experiences the loss of a a child through a drunk driver and they start Moms Against Drunk Drivers. You know, they respond a totally different way. So which person will you be? When evil and suffering comes your way, which will you be? And how will you respond to what happens to you? Some will respond by hardening and some will respond by softening. Okay, finally. We've talked about heart answers. We've talked about head answers. Let's talk now about heart answers, okay? Okay. And I'm just going to give you one. Because, frankly, for me, when I come back to this question, I go back to a little moment in my life. And I don't know if many of you remember this story. I'm a musician. And I was struggling with some bad things that had been done to me. And I was in my early 20s. And um, I, was just, I was just struggling why, with this big question. Why, God, would you allow this bad stuff to happen to me? I was reading a CD cover. Now, you can get gospel truth off of CD covers, believe it or not, you know. And I'm that kind of musician that would even read CD covers. So I was reading a CD cover, and it was by a guy named Michael Card, who's a great musician, but he's also a great theologian. And there was one sentence there that just grabbed me. And Michael Card said, at the end of the day, I'll never forget this sentence, at the end of the day, God never fully gives us the answer to suffering but he comes along and suffers alongside of us. I was hurting at that moment, frankly, deeply. And I read that on that CD cover. It reminded me that even though I don't understand and even though God may not give us all the different answers to all the different reasons why he allows different things to happen, he is a different God. He's not a a pompous, arrogant God. He's not a distant God. He's a God who the Bible calls a suffering servant. He comes alongside us and suffers alongside us in the midst of our pain. So here's the hard answer that I would give to you. I just invite you to write it down. God's promise is that He promises to come and walk with us. He he promises to come and walk alongside us, to hold us, to, to care for us in the midst of our pain. And He will suffer with us. And by the way, if you're hurting today... The greatest scripture that I could give you, if you're in a deep place of pain and suffering in your life, the greatest scripture that I could give you is found right in that next scripture, Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. Here's the promise of God. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so if you're hurting and you're in a very hard place right now, here's one of the promises of the Bible right there. Did you know the Bible says that when you're crushed and you're hurting, God is close. He's not far off. He draws close to you in that moment of your deepest pain. That's a promise of God. And that, that to me is one of the hard answers. That's what I needed to know as I sat there and read that CD case that day. I needed to know that God cared and that he would come along and suffer alongside me. Look at this next scripture, John 16, Oh, there it is. John 16, There it is. Remember Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble? Well, I didn't actually put it in context, Said I? He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus puts that, he puts that very strong, hard thing for us to hear, that in this world, you're going to have trouble. He puts that sandwiched around two things. He puts that around the first part. I've told you these things so you're going to have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But listen, I have overcome the world. He gives them that understanding. And I hope that you would hear the good news of the gospel of Christ for you when it comes to your struggle, the evil that's been done to you. So what does God say? Think about what we've said today. God would say, I didn't create evil. I didn't create suffering. I did give you free will. I wanted you to love me. And I did create a world where there is freedom of choice so that people can respond in relationship to me. That's why I made the world the way I made it. But trust me, I can redeem even the darkest evil that's ever happened on this world. I can redeem it. One day, I will eradicate all evil and all suffering. One day, I will wipe away every tear from every eye of my children. Today, will you trust me that I'm a good God and I've made the best decisions with you and mine? You know, guys, I pray a lot about what God shares with me that He would have to share with you. I work weeks out ahead. Asking God to speak to me, to teach me, to then speak to you. Can I just tell you the glory of God? God meets me in those moments, and He tells me a lot of things to try to teach and share. But there are some moments where God goes off script. And God shares with me maybe the most better thing, the, 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 the best thing, than beyond anything else I said. We were singing earlier, remember that song? Man of Sorrows? We sing, oh, the rugged cross, my salvation. Remember that song? We were singing that song right down here. You know what God spoke over me? He said, tell them, tell them I'm Savior. See, if you you didn't have any problems, you wouldn't need a Savior, right? If there wasn't evil and suffering, if there wasn't hardship in this world, Hey, would you do me a favor right now? Just sometimes it helps us to physically do something. Would you just take your hands and put it in front of you? Like like cup them in a cup real quick. Just cup them in a cup. And for you, don't think about that person next to you. For you, would you just answer for a minute? What is the problem? What is the problem in your world? What is the struggle in your world? What is the hardship? What is the evil? What is the suffering? What is the bad thing in your world that you cannot solve? Would you put it in your hands for a minute? <laughs> Would you look at me now, just look up here for at me for a minute. Can I tell you that I've got stuff in my hands too? I got problems just like you do. but can I tell you the glorious gospel message? That's why he's savior. He can redeem everything in my hands, and they look totally different than the stuff in your hands. He's savior. Please, whatever struggle, whatever burden, whatever heartache you're in right now, whatever evil has been done to you, whatever is in your hands, have faith today. In the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God, have faith that He is Savior. Stephen, even this, I mean, this is bad. Or even this, I don't even know how He could save this or how He could do this. Or this is even from my childhood. Whatever it is, here's the deal. He is Savior. Will you let Him be Savior for you today? As you keep those hands right there, let's pray over these things. Would you pray with me? Jesus, be my Savior. Come in and save the day. Come in and save this situation and all the evil and all the pain and give me a perspective, God, that is way beyond my limited sight today. Help me see the big picture, God. Help me trust you, even when I don't know how to trust you and I want to do it all on my own. And God, I thank you that you brought me to church today to remind me that I'm not the Savior. I don't have all the answers and I don't even know, I can't even explain why everything's happened to me or my family the way it has. Today, I proclaim you as Savior. And I don't have to have all the answers for everything I'm holding in my hand. But what I do have to have is you. I need you to come alongside me and walk with me and hold me and upgird me and, and just be with me and suffer alongside me. As I see you save the day. I pray this prayer by faith and I believe you'll do it. I thank you. Jesus, the saving one. Amen.
1: Work for our good. though sometimes we can't see how they could. Struggles that break our hearts in two sometimes blind us to the truth our father knows what's best for us his ways are not like our own so when your pathway grows dim and you just can't see him remember you're never alone God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Sees the master plan. He holds the future in his hand. So don't live as those who have no hope. All our hope is found in him. He's the first and the last And like a tapestry He's weaving you and me To someday be just like Him oh. God is too wise To be mistaken God is too good to be unkind. Be unkind. When you don't, don't understand, understand, when you don't see His, His plan, plan, when you can't trace His hand, trust His heart. For He alone is faithful and Best for you, oh. God is too wise to be mistaken, God is too good to be. Un- Can't trace his hand.
0: God bless your harvest point. Glad you were here this morning. Go and do God's work wherever you go. Amen.